Hey, there was a, a, a guy named John who received a gift, and it was a, a parrot. And unfortunately, this parrot had a really, really bad attitude and had a, a, a very salty vocabulary. We'll put it that way. And everything that the, the parrot said and did was just rude, crude, and laced with profanity. It really took John by, by surprise. This is a true story. You know this is a true story, right? It took John by such surprise, but he was determined that he was going to do something to help this, this parrot change its attitude. So he spoke very lovingly to, to the parrot. He played soft music to try to set an atmosphere for the parrot. But the parrot just wouldn't change. The, the parrot was incorrigible. And John had just had enough of it one day, and uh, he just started screaming at the parrot. And the parrot started screaming back at him, which made John mad. So he grabbed the parrot, and he started shaking the parrot. And the parrot uh, just began just to cuss him out. And he was just so overwhelmed and so frustrated that he, that he, he walked to the refrigerator, opened up the, the freezer, and put the parrot in the freezer, slammed the door. And all you can hear is just this kicking and cussing and squirming around in the freezer until you didn't. Suddenly it was quiet. Suddenly there was nothing coming from the freezer and John started to feel remorseful, thinking he had probably killed the parrot. So he tentatively opened up the freezer door, and the parrot gently walked out. John put his arm up there, and the parrot hopped up on, up on his arm, and the parrot said, Sir, I have obviously offended you. I want to let you know that I am truly repentant for my my actions, my language, and my uh, unforgivable behavior. And I'm going to do everything that I can to change. John was just shocked. But before he could even ask John, you know, what, what made this change? What changed your attitude? The parrot asked him a question. He said, uh, just for future reference, may I ask, um, what did the turkey do that's in the freezer? Okay, I got a laugh out of it. That was, I was going to say, don't tell that in the second one. <laughs> Things change. People change. Situations change. Everything in life changes. Everything that is except God. For God to change, he would have to become less than he already is because he's already perfect and complete. We started a lesson series last week called Who is God? And we started off by talking about our all-powerful God. And this morning, we're just going to talk about the God that doesn't change. Immutability is uh, a, a theological Word that is used to describe God, one of his attributes. But the word immutable really just means unchangeable. In Malachi 3, 
verse 6, it says, I am the Lord and I do not change. So if the Lord does not change, if he is immutable, what can we learn from his immutability? Well, first thing I believe that we can see is that he doesn't change his word. And so in Psalms 119.89, we read, Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. The Bible is his word. We know that. And it doesn't change. His intentions for his word doesn't change. That same scripture out of the, um, the Passion Translation, Psalms 119.89 says, Standing firm in the heavens and fastened to eternity is the word of God. God's word doesn't change. In fact, in 2 Timothy, it tells us that Scripture will teach us, it will correct us, and it will direct us. So if the word doesn't change, the promises that we see in the word don't change. Psalms 23, 19. God is not a man, so he doesn't lie. And all the women go, I knew man, I knew the man was lying. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has God ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not come through? Yes, we feel like that's the truth at times. We feel like God has spoken and not done it. We feel like God has promised and it hasn't come through. But if God can't change and his promises doesn't change, we need to look at us. What's going on in us? Because God's not going to change. Is there something going on in my life that may be delaying the promise of God? Maybe holding up the promise of God? Is there an attitude in me? Is there unforgiveness in me? Is there something? It's not that God doesn't want to fulfill the promise. It's not that God doesn't want to fulfill his word because it, he already has. All we're doing is holding up the reception of what God has for us. So if it feels like God has not fulfilled promises in our lives, we need to check us. And then once, when we realize that we're doing what needs to be done, we need to stay on course. When I was 42 years old, I was the youth pastor at this church. I know it. Now, I can promise you the day that I walked across the stage and received my diploma that said, awesome pastor person, I was not thinking that 20 years down the road that I would be a youth pastor. So many of my friends were, were leading ministries. So many of my friends had started churches. They were missionaries. They were doing these things that's like, what's wrong with me, God? And it's not that I didn't love the youth. I did love the youth. I, I really enjoyed being youth pastor. But there was just something going, man, I'm 42 years old. What's wrong with me? And I was mowing my, my, my yard one day, and, and God spoke to me. 
And I believe God spoke to me when I was mowing my yard because he knows how much I hate mowing my yard. So just to get my mind off of mowing the yard, I, I quite often pray or think about things. And, and the Lord just spoke to me. And he said, if you knew that when you were 50, I would begin to release you into your destiny, would you spend the next eight years preparing for it? I was like, yeah, of course I would. But some of you know that when I was 50, uh, my body was racked with disease. The day that I turned 50 was actually a good day because I was able to get out of the house and with the use of a cane, I was able to, to, to go have dinner with my, my family. But for the first eight months of my 50th year, I was trying not to die. And don't think there weren't these conversations with God going, this is, you know, this is not the destiny I was looking for, God. I want to go to heaven someday, but I didn't think it was going to be when I was 50, okay? That's not the destiny that, that I want at this moment. But the thing is that in those eight months, when I was spending so much time in bed, when I was spending so much time you know, coughing up blood and trying not to die, God was speaking to me. and God was ministering to me. And what he kept ministering to me over and over and over again was, you're a son. You're a son. You're a son. And he began to show me how I had spent so much time trying to gain his approval, doing things that I thought God would approve of, doing, trying to climb the Jesus ladder. He said, all you need to be is a son. All you need is to recognize that I love you just the way you are right now. I approve of you right now. So in that time, when some people would look and go, wow, something's really going on with him. And something really was going on with my physical body, but God was doing something with my spiritual body. I received more freedom during that time than I ever have. So it wasn't that God wasn't fulfilling his promises, because guess what? Before I actually turned 51, now God didn't say on the day you turn 50, but before I turned 51, I became the lead pastor of the church. God always fulfills his promises. It just doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like. So God's pro God promised a Savior, and Jesus came to us. 1 John calls Jesus the Word. Remember, we're talking about that God's word doesn't change. First, or the first chapter of John, let me say that. The first chapter of John calls Jesus the word. And Jesus the word doesn't change either. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word doesn't change. It changes us. The Bible tells us that it makes our way pure, that it revives us, that it judges us, that it's a light on a dark path. It comforts us. It's seed planted in our heart. It awakens faith. It's a sword with which to fight the enemy. It's like milk that nourishes babies and it washes us clean. 
Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. God doesn't change, his word doesn't change, and he will back up his word. In 1994, a man named Russell Herman died in Illinois. And he left in his will very specific instructions on what was to be done with his assets, how they were to be distributed. And he left, um, he left $2 billion to the city of East St. Louis, Illinois, where he lived. He left another billion and a half dollars to the state of Illinois. He left two and a half billion to the National Forest Service. And he was the most generous with the federal government to whom he left six trillion dollars to be used towards paying the national debt. The only problem was when Russell Herman died, the only asset he had was a 1983 Oldsmobile. Now, he was obviously a very generous man, but he couldn't back up his word. If your word doesn't mean anything, unless you can back it up. And God backs up his word. In Jeremiah 1, it says that the Lord is watching over his word to make sure that it comes to pass. Not only does his word never change, but his character never changes. 1 John 4, 8. For anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In that same chapter down in verse 16, second part of the, the verse there, it says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. God's character can be summed up in one word, love. He personifies love. Every thought and every decision he makes emanates from love. But we equate love to an emotion. And there is an emotional side of love, of course. But because we equate love to an emotion, we think because I have uh, feelings for a person or feelings for my dog or feelings for a place or feelings for my favorite food that I love it, right? Now, anybody that knows me knows that I have an emotional relationship with Mexican food. I love Mexican food. I do. I am absolutely convinced that the Hebrew word manna translates to the Spanish word taco. It, it, it has to be true because nobody else would be out there collecting all that unless it was tacos. But because we have this emotional connection to something, we have trouble understanding the love that God is talking about at times. Because the love that, that, that uh, John is writing about here, and he's talking about the love of God, is not just an emotional love. It is a benevolent type of love. It's a love that takes pity. It's a love that causes you to act on someone's behalf because they're helpless. And you will act on their behalf knowing that they could never pay you back. It's a protective love. It's like a, a parent's love. 
Those of you that are parents, you know the moment that that child is born, you love that child. That child has done nothing to be loved. That child is not going to do anything worthy of being loved until they're like 25. They're going to poop. You've got to feed them. There's just all these little things, and you live for it, although they, they cry all night long, and you stay up with them, and they, they curl up that little lip, and you think they're smiling at you. Oh, this baby loves you, and that baby's going, I'm pooping. But you love that child. Why? Because you gave birth to them. God's character is love for his people, even when it doesn't look like it. Because we're so tied to emotional love, sometimes we struggle with the understanding of, of the benevolent love that God gives to us. I hear this question all the time. Well, if God is love, why was he so mean in the Old Testament? Why was God so mean in the Old Testament? Truth is, he wasn't mean. It was love. God only had covenant with one nation, and he defended his people because they couldn't defend themselves. So when he gave them the law, when he gave them all these rules, it was love. He was teaching a people who had been in slavery for over 400 years how to live. It was love. The judgments that came from God against Israel, it was love because he was dealing with their hearts. And even the destruction of other nations, that's the one that, that people just have so much trouble with. Well, if God is love, why would he tell Israel to destroy all the nations around him? Because that was love for his people like mama bear love. If they had done what God had told them to do, they would not have struggled the way that they struggled. He said, destroy these other nations or they're going to influence you. That was mama bear love. Have you ever seen a mama? I don't care how little she is, but her kid is in trouble and she's going to go after whoever, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's the kind of love that God had for Israel and that's the kind of love that God has for us. He would do anything to provide for you. In 1962, uh, a woman named Gladys Kidd put uh, an ad in a San Francisco newspaper. And this is what it said. I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he didn't commit. Therefore, I will commit to 10 years of service with no pay as a, uh, a housekeeper, a cook, or a maid to any lawyer who will take his case and prove his innocence. Now, one of the, the leading lawyers in San Francisco saw the ad, and he was intrigued. And he called Gladys, and they had a conversation. And after the conversation, he decided that he would take the case. And he was able to prove the innocence of Gladys's husband. Now, when Gladys came back around to, to get the details of how she would uh, fulfill her end of the bargain, the, the lawyer told her, hey, you don't owe me anything. My pay was getting an innocent man 
set free. Now, you, me, and everybody in this world, we've been condemned to death. But we deserve it. It's because of our own sin. See, the Bible tells us that the payment for sin is death. But we've got a lawyer. We've got the best lawyer. We've got a lawyer's name is Jesus Christ. And he saw that if he did not intervene, that we would all be lost to hell. But he, he went so much further than any lawyer could ever go. Because we were guilty and the price had to be paid. Instead of allowing us to die for it, he died for us. He paid the price for us. That is the love of God. That is the never-changing, immutable character of God. Where there was no way, he made a way. And since his word never changes and his character won't change, we can be confident that he doesn't change his purpose. In Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, Even before he made the world, you catch that? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is why he this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. God's purpose before he ever even created the world was to bring us into the family. And Jesus said it was his purpose too. In Luke 19:10, Jesus said for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. His word promises it, his character ensures it, and his purpose provides it. Jeremiah 32, 38. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever, for their own good and for the good of their descendants. For the good of their descendants. You hear that? His purpose is to rescue us, and our purpose is to worship him. Did you hear that in that scripture? He gave them one heart and one purpose, to worship me. But the worship was not just good for me, it's good for my descendants. Look, my parents, my mom and my dad, they worshiped God faithfully. Yet I was a turd. Okay? My parents served God faithfully. Yet I was horrible. But looking back on it now, I can see that as my parents pursued God, God pursued me. Because their worship of God, their pursuit of God was not just for them. It was being passed down to their kids. Because God is faithful to his word. 
It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are older, they'll not depart. When they are older, how much older? I don't know, but if they're acting up right now, you can say there's going to be an older time. Okay? My dad used to tell me all the time, I'd get in all kinds of trouble, and I'd expect him to smack me around, to hit me, to, to yell at me, and he'd look at me and just say, love never fails. Love never fails. I'd get upset and angry. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to be a part of anything that they were doing. And my mom, who was not quite as nice as my dad, would say, well, it's just too bad you were born to this family. Love never fails. He has not changed his mind about his purposes. Hebrews 6, 17. So in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit his promises. His promise was unchangeable. So God added his vow to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. His purpose was to redeem us. His purpose was to bring us into the family, and he has promised it, and it will never change. But let's talk about individually. He hasn't changed his mind about your purpose either. And it's time to reawaken some dreams. It's time to reawaken some purpose that we've let just fall by the wayside because situations in life didn't look like it was going to happen. But the truth is, God has not changed. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed his mind about you. It's impossible for God to lie. His word and his character and his purpose will not allow it. So let's rekindle those callings, those prayers. You may have been praying for, for your kids for a while. You may have been praying about your spouse for a while. You may have been praying over lots of things for a while, and you just haven't seen it come to pass yet. God doesn't lie. He brought you into the family to worship with your life, with your family, with your callings, and with your talents. Now, some of you may remember this movie called The Blind Side. Uh, it was a corny movie, but it still won Academy Awards. It uh, is about a, a, a wealthy family that adopted a, a poor high school student into their family. The, 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 the guy that was adopted, his name was Michael Orr. And he was a very, very talented uh, football player. And so talented that, that he got a, a, a full scholarship to college. So talented that he was a first-round draft pick in the, in the NFL. And the family was asked once, how did this relationship start? And they said it started with two words, turn around. You see, one day they were driving down the road, the family in their, their car, and they saw this young man walking in shorts and a t-shirt, although it was below freezing. And the mom looked over at the dad and she said, turn around. And they turned the car around and they went back and they picked up this young man. 
Little did they know that just giving him a ride would turn into a friendship that would turn into the opportunity to adopt him into the family. So those two words, turn around, changed Michael Orr's life. It allowed him to to fulfill his potential. And those same two words can change anybody's life. Turn around. Because when we turn around, we have a different direction. When we turn around, we're seeing things differently. When we turn around, we're doing things differently. You know that's the the truest definition of repentance? Turn around. Just turn around. When it comes to the immutability of God, do we need to turn around and recognize that he doesn't change? His word is still settled in heaven, so we can trust it. His promises are true because his character demands it. And his purposes for you, your family, even this church hasn't changed. I know you look around right now. If you were sitting in this church last July, you may have been fighting for a seat. We were so full that that we had plans to build the Sam Fisher Memorial Wing over here. Because we needed more kids space. We were having 70, 80 kids back there every week. We didn't have enough parking. I mean, we had people that would leave because they couldn't find a parking place. And we started the plans for, for building more parking. God, God gave us some promises. God, God gave us some prophecies through Corey Hooper right here about the things that the Lord wanted to do in this house and through this house. And we had a lot of momentum coming into this year and then we're going to have more people watching us at home today than we will have in the two services. But does that mean God has changed? Did God not know COVID was coming? Of course he did. He gave us those promises on the backside. So when we're looking at it right here, we can still say, God, that's your word. God, that's your promise. God, that's what we're hanging on to. And the same thing is for your family, for you. What has God promised you? It may not look like it right now, but God hasn't changed. So let's turn around. What do I want you to know? Because God never changes, we can depend on Him. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel the security that comes from knowing that God hasn't changed His mind about you. And what do I want you to do? Turn around. What promises have we forgotten about? What giftings have we allowed to just sit? What family members have we stopped praying for? Now is the time to rely 
on our unchangeable, all-powerful God to fulfill his unchanging promises. Will you pray with me? And just so you know, I won the battle against the clock. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you. Just as the song we were singing, Lord, we, you don't forget about us. <laughs> Doesn't matter where we were, what we've been doing. Lord, you have not changed your mind. You chose us before you even created the world. Before you even set creation in motion. You wanted a family. You wanted us. So, Lord, we choose to believe in our unchangeable, immutable God. Your word is still true. Your purposes are still true. Your promises are still true. And, Lord, any place in our heart where maybe we've turned away, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to show us so we can turn back, so we can be seen by you, and we can follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.